0: That's in El Puro, Wyoming. Uh, as always, we got the Carnales here with us. And today we actually have a very special guest with us. She is part of El Paso City Council, although she's here speaking on her own behalf. We've got the Carnala, Cassandra Hernandez with us. Give us a shout out, Cassandra.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: You're welcome. We're really excited to have you. Um, As always, we got the Cardinal, Andrew Benitez. Andrew, don't only just give us a shout out. Tell us where you are at and why you are
2: out there. Oh, man. Uh, Shout out to everybody. Uh, Good to be on the uh, on their airwaves again. I am recording actually from uh, Providence, Rhode Island uh, out from, uh, out from Boston. So traveling a bit. Um, but we got a lot of great topics and, uh, you know, talking about home. So I'm looking forward to discussing with y'all.
0: Glad to have you. Glad to have you. As always, a big shout out to, uh, our leader, our producer, our, our, our brother in arms, the host of the eight, Black Hands podcast, our brother podcast. Charles, cool, man. How are you doing today?
3: Oh, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. And y'all, y'all are definitely the leaders of this. <laughs> and I'm one of the co-hosts of 8 Black Hands. I can just hear Ray complaining right now on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to be very clear. Uh, no, I'm one of, the, one of the four hosts and uh, happy to be helping with the production. Um, i out on the road it. right now in Chicago uh, and, and found a place to kind of uh, help produce from there so uh shout out to the dunkin donuts and the black ladies that let me stay in here and do a full <laughs> ass podcast production they're great yo that was uh inadvertent ad for dunkin donuts
0: so shout out apparently to dunkin donuts uh starbucks shit we'll we'll see you later man um i want to quickly just, um, say thank you to all the folks who listened to our first podcast. We really appreciate the support. We appreciate the feedback. Uh, we've taken a lot of that feedback into account. One of the things that I was really adamant about is having guests and and particularly our, uh, Carnales and our Latina sisters and brothers. Um, that could be on the podcast in the future. And we've got ourselves a very strong, um, very intelligent Latina with us. So I'm excited about that. Uh, working on the sound, we hope that the sound comes out better this time around. And what we're really excited about is to shout out the fact that we've got um, our Twitter up and running. You can hit us up at EPW Podcast. We've got our Instagram up at the underscore EPW podcast. And then you can hit us up on Gmail at EPW podcast at gmail.com. So what I wanted to do is this episode is, is very much an obvious response to recent events that happened in my hometown and where Cassandra and I are currently calling mm-hmm. home El Paso, Texas, and of course, the, the horrific incident that happened 13 hours later in Dayton, Ohio, uh, with, with Andrew, obviously, have just left El Paso. We want to discuss this, and we are, in fact, going to do a very deep dive into this incident that happened into El Paso and express our thoughts. And uh, what we wanted to do is two things. Uh, one, kind of throw out some quick disclaimers. Uh, As a superintendent and CEO of a nonprofit and public charter school organization, I have a very um, uh, large responsibility to the organization, the school and the folks here. And we have a programmatic response from the organization. So I want to just quickly say that uh, all comments here on out are really just me or my end out of the person and not the superintendent of the El Paso Leadership Academy. These are not the views that are expressed by the organization. We will have very clear and systemic responses from the organization, but just wanna say that this is really just coming from um, my heart and is not the response from the organization. The organization works as a team and we put out responses as a team. And I, um, I believe in that style of leadership. And I know Cassandra's got a couple things to say. About yeah, no, that.
1: absolutely. Um, the city of El Paso's city council um, recently passed a code of conduct uh, that prohibits me from speaking on behalf of the city. So just likewise, uh, this is me speaking from my, my heart, Cassandra Hernandez, um, and not as a member of, or speaking on behalf of the city of El Paso, um, but speaking for uh, myself.
0: All right. So I wanted to... to just quickly, there was a lot of folks who listened to the first podcast and they were really excited to, to hear these voices, to hear this conversation. And they were like, yo, what, what, what the hell? does Estas in el Puro Wyoming
2: mean? Uh, this is facts. I, I got a text message literally after everything was published. I got a text message <laughs> from somebody who will remain unnamed and it just says El Puro Wyoming? Four question marks. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> it's out and people want to know what is up with this. I will, so, man, I will, I will also say
3: hard. I got a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, Charles, how are you producing and what is, how is this name what is become the thing? On? I said, look, this is there. I said it was originally three dope boys in a Cadillac, but we. Uh, right. And right. They're like, you should have went with that. Which so, I love. So. That's okay. such a dope it, name. It, well, there's still time to change it. But Omar. Is, <laughs> no, I'm teasing, yes. man. But yes, please explain <laughs> to people what the hell this name is and why it's important. Uh, and why we just I just call it the EPW podcast, bro.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, man. And the EPW podcast has a great ring to it. Um, when we were you know, jostling around ideas about what this podcast should be named, Um, we were thinking about why we're doing in the first place, that this is kind of a conversation that we always have amongst Latinos about where we're at. But, you know, I think that there's an acknowledgement that as Latinos, there is not a very well-defined focus as to where we are and who we stand. We're, we're not a monolith that thinks one way. We're a very diverse community. And oftentimes it's very difficult to organize that community. And in jostling the difficulty of discussions that we have, there's there's a lot of confusion. And within that confusion, it goes back to something that my father, who is, uh, you know, just an unbelievable man. He had these like crazy phrases that he used all the time. This man kind of lived a larger than life existence, kind of like if anyone had ever seen the movie, Big Fish, that's the best way that I could describe his life and his stories and his legacy. And he just um, sadly passed away this past January. So kind of in honor of my father, Um, and relevant to the topic, every time when I was confused or, you know, just discombobulated or kind of fucking shit up, um, my father would look at me incredulously Ah. and just be like, Niño Tarado! Estás en el puro Wyoming! ¿Qué te pasa, niño? (laughs) I'd crack up and I'd be like, what the hell does that mean? And then I got older. And, you know, I asked him one day, I kind of worked up the courage, I was like, Dad, what, que eso? Que Wyoming? I don't know what that means. And I thought, well, that's funny. Like, are you talking about Wyoming, the state? Like, because, you know, it's kind of in the middle of the country and not a lot of people. He's like, no, no el estado, niño. No, not the state dumb kid and i was like Uh not the state he's (laughs) like, el calle wyoming the street wyoming and i was like the street wyoming like in el paso (laughs) si niño no sabes donde empieza no sabes donde termina no va a ningún lado estás totalmente confundido estás en el puro wyoming and i'm yelling because my father didn't actually speak. He yelled. Um, that was his regular voice <laughs> and translated simply. It's basically a modulation in the street in El Paso, it, You don't know where it begins. You don't know where it ends. You don't really know where it leads to. It kind of just like intersects at a highway, it goes away for a while, pops back up. And it doesn't know where the hell it's going. It's just confused. So my father, to explain how I was like dumb and confused, would be like, ¿estás en el puro, Wyoming? And I'm not saying that we are dumb and confused. What I will say is that I thought it really appropriate because I think as a people, as Latinos in this country, we don't have a very concise vision of who we are, what we stand for and where we're going. And I think that we don't even have a very concise idea about identity because we have such differentiated identities and they're all very beautiful. Uh, Part of that identity crisis may explain why uh, Chicanos love Morrissey so much. And estamos llorando cada vez que Morrissey está tocando. Like, ah, Morrissey, ah, estoy bien triste. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I thought that the name would help. And I thought it apropos, considering the very difficult place that I think we're in as a country, the very difficult place that we are in as El Pasoans right now with the incident, um, in that, yeah, like, estamos en el puro Wyoming right now. And if we are, what is the path out of this towards some level of clarity as to how we can heal both as a city and as a nation understand what happened and really come away with some really positive and proactive solutions uh, to improve, not just the, the, the the, the epidemic of gun violence in the United States, but really how do we improve as a people to love one another, respect one another and start wiping away a culture of hate bigotry and racism so that is really where we're at right now and um, I know that Andrew felt uh, very passionate about this podcast and um, having just been away a few days had some really interesting things to say
2: about kind of what the culture was out in Massachusetts building yeah. in El Paso yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, while I'm out here in the Northeast, uh, you know, I decided to take a trip out from the Boston area to Providence. Uh, truthfully, I am in El Puro Wyoming. Um, and I was thinking about your story too, Omar. The first time that you said, Estas en El Puro Wyoming, I'd never heard that phrase before, because why would I have? But I also pretended like I knew what you were talking about, The <laughs> context clues. So I was definitely lost. You're like, Estas en El Puro Wyoming. I'm like, yeah, right? Okay, I know what that means. Um, <laughs> but I do now, we all do. Um, yeah, uh, I yeah, I felt very strongly about the topic. We wanted to record earlier in the week about Monday, and truthfully, I, I wasn't ready, um, just so raw and, and everything having happened uh, in El Paso just one week ago. Um, and this was on the tail end of, uh, for me, uh, my departure from the city. So, uh, Wednesday, uh, when I left El Paso was the same day as I'm flying out to a Boston Logan that, uh, Donald Trump is flying into El Paso reportedly, uh, to meet at, at the hospital. So, um, real sort of, uh, interesting and in some ways challenging transition. Um, I'd say that my first, I don't know, my first thoughts leaving, I wanted to make sure as I, I typically did, um, to let people know where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. So I made sure to go to the day before I left a proper print shop on Montana. And, um, I bought a, a boss, uh, sorry, an El Paso strong, uh, t-shirt. And, uh, I made sure to wear that, uh, on my flight out. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I wanted to represent, but in, you know, on that day of all days, I want to represent more than ever. And I think that it's been an interesting couple of days, sort of uh, catching up with some folks and asking them from their perspective, did you hear about it? And, you know, where are you coming from? El Paso or Texas? Oh, where? El Paso. Oh. And they don't know what to say after that. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to ask, you know, in my opinion, you know, how you doing or, you know, anything else. Um, but it just feels as though, you know, in this part of the country, it's not, um, it's not as real. Um, it's a, it's a piece of the news and, uh, and I feel guilty because when it happened in Gilroy and when it happened in Santa Fe, Texas, to me, you know, I I felt it, but not the same. It was, it was a piece of the news. And now, uh, what had happened in El Paso is nationally and internationally, a piece of the news. But to me, it's so much more than that. Um, not just being an El Pasoan, but, you know, we're going to get into this, you know, let's not forget the documented reason for this mass shooting, not just as an El Pasoan, but as a, as a Chicano, Mexican-American, as a Latino, you know, anywhere in the country, this should be hitting you hard. Um, And it still is. So, you know, just a a preface for me, Uh, I'm excited to record today. Um, I think that Omar is one of the smartest guys on the planet and he's the policy guy. So if we're going to talk solutions, um, Omar is the guy who's like the shining Cape Crusader who will come in and talk solutions. Maybe today um, I just want a little bit of catharsis. So if y'all will bear with me to just, to just talk about it with you all, I really appreciate it. Yo, um, I really
0: appreciate you saying that because, you know, I I do jump to solutions um very quickly. It's just kind of how my mind works. Uh, but yo, this this podcast should also really be about talking through this. Like mm-hmm. this is clean. Like this is a conversation, you know. I think Charles, you know, said like, yo, like this is really just an opportunity to have a conversation about this and hear some voices and have some catharsis. So yeah, we'll be talking about some solutions and we'll be talking about maybe what we can do about it. But yeah, this is an opportunity for us to get a little sloppy about it, maybe get a little emotional about it, Um, You know, try to add some levity to the situation uh, in order to try to raise our spirits and ultimately realize that, yes, this is a national incident, but we have to bear in mind The victims, um, their families, these are fellow El Pasoans, these are fellow compas y um, carnadas out in Ohio that we want to send our love, thoughts, prayers, um, and wrap our arms around them as well. Because they they experienced something very tragic along with us, Uh, the El Paso incident does has this asterisk on it and you know i know that cassandra has got um she's been talking about this a whole lot lately and um you know i want to give her a, a quick shout because i think that she's been uh given her, her her place in the city talking about this a lot and want to give her some some voice to talk
1: yeah thank you um and, and- andrew i i get what you're th- what you're feeling right now about a piece of the news. I too feel yeah. um, guilty for surviving or for being alive. Um, and I've heard this time and time again, that um, all El Pasoans are victims. Everyone who lives here or who lives in Ciudad Juarez are victims because we are one family. And uh, I, I agree. I think, I think that in, at some point um, you reflect back, and you think about what, what was I doing at the time that I got the call, or at the time, you know, somebody text me. Um, and actually, Omar was the first person to text me to, to check in with me to see if I was OK, because I live uh, just a mile away from um, where the Walmart, where the shooting occurred. And, uh, and I'll always remember this precisely. Uh, I was in my backyard uh, watching my children jump on the trampoline. Um, and then I got that call, and I got those text messages of family members and friends worried about my safety. And and then I thought, this is this is ridiculous. This is absolutely not happening in our own backyard. This can't be true. Uh, and because I am um, a public official, I was privy to information real time. And then the moment I got that email that said, you know, we have 18 confirmed deaths, I could not stop crying. All I can think about is like, who were these people? Um, were there any children? And it's just, just this, like you know, this uh, motion just take over, takes over you. Um, and until, and, and still until this day, I get, I get all choked up and and to think about the families and, and the lives and and the people. Um, and I didn't have time to digest and accept it immediately. Um, what I did is I coordinated childcare. I called my mom. Um, And I went straight to the reunification center uh, to see uh, what I can do to be a resource, to monitor the situation carefully, and then to help the families. Um, And what I saw, um, the faces of fear and the panic, um, it will be scarred uh, in my memory forever. Um, I witnessed uh, some of the victims' families get those calls, and I just can't describe the the pain and the tears that everybody encountered. So, yes, or a couple of days ago, I attended um, a Episo interfaith um, event. Um, t- it was an assembly, and parishioners and different members of all different churches and religions and backgrounds came together at St. Paul's Church, and they asked us two questions, uh, how do you feel and what do you need? Mm. And I will tell you, um, just listening to everybody, um, people need to, to hear and to talk about the problem. Um, they need to be able to to talk and work through their emotions, and and that's and that's okay. That's what we're doing today. Um, and the next thing is that people want accountability, um, and a lot of people are scared, um, scared to go back to Walmart, scared to go out into public places, and so they want change and they want policy. So I think this is a a perfect opportunity, Omar, and how we can to talk about what the voices of El Paso want.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and. What I want to do before we, we get into some of that uh, more difficult talk and some of the more controversial talk, there's a lot of folks in El Paso and Dayton. Um, let's not forget folks that are still reeling from Aurora and Columbine and all the mass shootings. And it's a very confusing time for folks. So I just want to ask Gabe, I want to ask Cassandra um, just a very basic question, which is how are you all? Processing this situation. How are you all kind of uh, dealing with it personally? Because I think a lot of listeners would want to know um, that yo, know, you're not alone. Um, we we are all going through a very traumatized and difficult process. Um, some folks react very differently, and yo, know, like emotions aren't wrong. Like, let's not be afraid of our emotions. I think it's how we handle them and how we react to them that I think is important. So, um, I want to, I want to pitch this over to Cassandra really quick and then maybe how are you all uh, handling this personally? How are you all processing?
1: Um, you know, I'm, I'm sad. Um, and I'm angry mm-hmm. and I, I have a a very different situation because I I don't have the opportunity to really uh, deal with my emotions because I have in this role, I have transitioned very quickly into a counselor um, for my constituents. I have received a number of calls and uh, emails and messages on social media. Um, They're looking for words of comfort and, you know, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not, um, you know, somebody who, you know, who can, can read scriptures, um, and give them those words of wisdom. Uh, so I, I, listen, um, and I tell everybody, let's be El Paso strong. Let's teach each other love, um, and to be generous and kind, uh, knock on your neighbor's door and, and tell them that you love them and that you're there for them. Um, and so I, I've, I've transitioned to this counselor. The other thing is, uh, I have been on, you know, national, you know, platforms like CNN and Fox News and others talking about this tragedy and and what we want to see. Um, And unfortunately, now I am receiving um, terrible voicemails, uh, terrible emails, terrible messages on social media about how I'm deplorable and how I'm a disgrace to the Latina community. And so I am. I am dealing with a whole different set of emotions for speaking um, against hate, uh, which is which is unfortunate. And you know, I have to be stronger for this community. And um, so I've been. I've been trying to deal a lot with those emotions. And so talking about it has been really helpful.
0: Damn. Yeah. And you know, as we are processing everything and going through this and, and talking about it. Yo, this is a controversial subject. And I think that there is going to be uh, some very interesting feedback about this. So, um, you know, before I give up the mic to, to AB and let and him talk about this, I do wanna say like, we are going to dip into controversy. We're not going to shy away from it. Um, I am going to say um, probably some things that will spark a lot of controversy, but I always say this, we should not shy away from conflict. Conflict creates clarity. That clarity creates accountability and that accountability creates results. It's it's the way that we run the organization. Uh, I think we shy too often away from conflict, but let's, let's be honest here about one thing. We were talking about conflict over ideas. Um, it's going to be very easy to start saying very um, hateful things towards people and not only do I wanna avoid that, but yo, like when you are giving your comments on our Insta and Twitter and all that, like, I know we can't avoid it. Folks are gonna say what they wanna say, but what we really wanna have is a very conflict-laden conversation about the ideas that are going to push us forward and not just throw in personal and hominem attacks um, against one another because I think that has actually caused some of this problem. And that's part of the way that I'm processing is how do we uh, work together towards a common solution here instead of playing the blame game.
2: So AB, brother, how are you feeling? How are you processing all this? Yeah, it's good to hear. Thank you, Cassandra, for for sharing all that because um, we never know what somebody else is going through. And we realize that um, you, you might feel I mean, you do feel, I'm sure, a heavy sense of responsibility, um, but also guilt that you have to be there for so many other people, right? You got to fill their cup. You got to fill their cup. And you might feel worried um, or guilty to to even process it for yourself or to just cry because you got to take care of somebody else who is relying on you, who needs that support. Um, And I would have never realized that and wouldn't have thought about it. And you're providing such a service for so many people. So thank you uh, for having done that and being such a strong individual uh, for our community. Um, I think that on my end, and as much as I haven't wanted to, you know, talk about it all the time, I kind of just want to talk about it all the time. Yeah, I can't stop looking at my Facebook I don't even have a Twitter. Somehow I'm on, I'm on Twitter tweeting stuff. <laughs> How did I get in there? I don't know, I snuck in the club. Like, mm-hmm. I'm on all these like, platforms, doing all these things because I just want to read more and find out more and mm-hmm. um, and I think that, and I want to talk to folks uh, and hear, do you feel the same way? I saw my, my high school childhood friend, I saw him on the corner the other day when I was back home, we talked for like two and a half hours. And one of the first questions I asked was like, how are you doing? And you know, he works at UMC as a pharmacist and he wasn't there that day and he felt guilty for not being there mm-hmm. that day when all those patients came through. Um, so really it's been um, a lot of reading that, you know. Um, and I, I've looked online, I've looked for ways to process these sorts of events and some of the advice that I've seen from um, psychologists throughout the country is to take yourself away from that. Maybe give yourself a break uh, from the CNN and, and whatnot. I probably need to tell my mom to do that too. Uh, she is on the CNN 24 seven. There's a news anchor that she's quite fond of. She's real excited that he's in town, um, uh, <laughs> really excited. Uh, and I need to get her off of that, off of that, To you know, not think about such a horrific, um, event part of it too. I mean, for, for me, you know, I remember like when nine 11 happened, I was a big fan of Saturday night live. And, uh, on that day, the next Saturday after the event, um, they asked at the beginning of the episode, "Is it okay to be funny?" Mm-hmm. Right? Do you remember Omar? Do you remember Lauren Michael's response? Of course, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And you know, just from what I remember, it's that uh, comedy is catharsis, and comedy brings us together, and laughter is is one hell of a medicine. And you know, I was just telling this to Charles. But my man, uh, Keenan Ivory Waynes, who I think is one of the most genius um, comedians, producers, writers uh, of, of all time. You know, if, if you all don't know who Keenan Ivory Waynes is, he created um, In Living Color. I mean, we have all the the spin spinoff shows to thank to Keenan Ivory. And he said, you know, in the face of tragedy in our communities, satire and comedy is is not just cathartic, but like, what choice do we have? Like we can either look at this situation and try to use satire as a way of healing and using comedy as a vehicle to bring up very difficult subjects. Uh, but it's also something that makes a lot of this stuff very palpable. And, you know, I think Lauren Michaels was saying
2: something very similar, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the idea, I think his, his short, his curt response was, uh, Lauren, can we be funny? And he says, why start now? Uh, <laughs> and so they got the show on the road. And, you know, on the day that it happened, um, I was conflicted. I, I had a going away party scheduled for that day. And I got text messages coming in after we figured out what was going on. And people asking me, Drew, is this happening? Are you still wanting to do this? And the the real answer was, I didn't know. I didn't know if people felt like it was the right time to celebrate anything. I don't know if I felt it was the right time. Um, and I made the decision to, Omar was so gracious in hosting us um, at his home because some folks just didn't feel comfortable even going out not even in the house. So having people around, and I think by the end of that evening um, we, we definitely touched on the subject, but we spent a couple of hours um, mostly not talking about it and yeah. we smiled and, and we laughed and um, you know, it was a welcome reprieve because for the previous, you know, eight plus hours um, I just at the end of it had felt um, exhausted uh, from, you know, crying and, and thinking about just thinking about it, um, so hard. Um, so I think that having experiences like this, uh, and also, you know, just trying to cheer, um, cheer each other up about it. Um, absolutely. I mean, it. You no, know. and I don't think that there's a right
0: answer in terms of how we process a a very traumatizing and difficult moment. You know, I, I hear things like I'm heartbroken. I hear things like I'm, I'm traumatized. Um, I'm confused. These, you know, there's no right or wrong here. These are all things that are totally okay and totally appropriate. And to our listeners, like if you don't know how to react, if you don't know what to do, like you're not alone. We, we all feel very similarly. Um, and, it, you know, and some of us have very different ways of showing grief. Some of us want to, you know, face it head on and start talking about solutions. Some of us want to, um, you know, laugh and, and and try to cut some jokes because it eases the tension a bit and makes things a little bit easier to process. Some of us, um, you know, I'm God, man, the El Paso community is unbelievable. When I was out there, I couldn't go donate blood because they told me like, hey, Like lines too long, beat it, Um, I'll come back. And I was like, all right. And I went back and they're like, yo, we're still Mm -hmm. over capacity. So I'm gonna head back next week, Um, which just demonstrates the unbelievable charity and thoughtfulness of this community. And, um, you know, folks donating all across the country, across the world, El Pasoans really stepping up and supporting each other. Uh, because I think it's, you know, and we'll we'll dip into this controversy. And I kind of want Cassandra to chime in because she's seen so much about this. But, you know, the one thing El Pasoans are, are the most confused about is like, this this wasn't us. This yeah. was not an El Pasoan who came in here and did this. We would never do this to ourselves. This is a happy, sunshiny, sun city community. I was joking about it with, with an Uber driver yesterday. Coming back home from Austin so that we can run this podcast. And she's like, Yeah, you know, that just doesn't sound like a boss. And I was like, Yeah, like whether it's the sun or the lithium in the water, supposedly, like I don't know what it is. We're a happy people. And You know, like someone decided to introduce uh, hate, racism and violence into our community. So absolutely we're confused. But you will see that it's not just a moniker of El Paso Strong, like we are symbolized by this beautiful star Um, On our mountain, we have a beautifully lit star. If you haven't seen it, um, you can Google image El Paso. And one of the first images you're going to see is this brightly lit, beautiful star that lights up every night on the mountain. It's actually in our school's logo. And what a perfect uh, metaphor for who we are as a people in that you can try to diminish our light with hate, animosity and racism. But the light of hope and love will always shine in the darkness, and in the darkest of times.
1: And and just to add, um, I got this message uh, from this young woman who lives um, very close to Allen, Texas, and she sent me a message on Instagram, and she said, "You know, we're confused over here too. Why would this man go from Allen, Texas, all the way to El Paso mm-hmm. to target Hispanics when the suburb I live in, very close to his home?" is predominantly Hispanic. Why didn't he just come to our Walmart and, and shoot Hispanics there? So people across the entire region in Texas are confused why he didn't and why he targeted our tranquil, calm, beautiful city. Um, and I think that's a question um, that that it's, it's okay to ask, um, but it, it gave me so much um guilt and, and I felt so so sorry um, that she felt um, guilty for still being alive mm. and El Pasoans for being dead. Um, and so it's just everyone everyone's hurting and everyone's just kind of scratching their head what's happening in, in America.
0: And as people, you know, try to make sense of that, that's, that's a good segue. Um, I want to say something and dip into the controversy And really kind of say what's what's at our heart here as we start dipping into some some of the the more difficult conversational pieces here. Um, Like you, Andrew, man, I, I jumped on Twitter. I jumped on Facebook. I jumped on Insta, you know. Yeah all kinds of stuff like, uh, you know, my man Seth MacFarlane talking about climate change and then like, oh, my God, look what happened in El Paso. And then everyone's spouting off um, their, their their opinions. And what I want to say is this, um, A.B., you're a crazy educated man. I'd say that you're an expert in educational policy and education, you got your degree in government. Um, Cassandra's hyper-educated, um, bachelor's and master's degree. And I would say that she's a public policy expert. She does it every day. Um, I'm, I'm happy to have a master's degree in education and public policy. And while I think this gives us a very good perspective, um, you know, expert testimony is something that we need to be paying attention to. So one of the things I want to say is like I started researching what are the experts saying about this because it's one thing to have a psychologist, a psychiatrist, um, terrorist experts, folks that have been working in the FBI for over you know, 25, 30 years, public policy experts, but um, chime in neurologists. I'm going to, you know, quote an NPR study and shout out our, our brothers at the, and sisters at the Hidden Brain. Um and hear about their expert testimony into trying to devise what's going on. But what I see is a lot of like bullshit being spread on social media. And what I say by that is like, I, in a, in a, in a period of trauma, in a period of difficulty, we are all trying to find out what happened, how can we solve it and what's at the root cause. And part of that, I think a root cause analysis is crazy important. We should be asking each other questions and saying we read this and we read that. Uh, But another thing that it's a quite another thing to just assert yourself as an expert. And I see these cats on Facebook and they're asserting this claim. And I'm wondering, like, are you a psychologist? You got a public policy degree? Are you a psychiatrist? Have you dealt with terrorism for 30 years? So why are you asserting your opinion as if it's like the end all be all expert testimony, instead of trying to ask questions and drive the conversation forward. Because what we want to do here is give this podcast the ability to be a medium for asking questions and simply say, yo, we don't know the answers, but we're certainly trying to put ideas out there to create a larger conversation that will result. And I think hopefully some public policy solutions and maybe even some, some medical solutions moving forward. But like, let's dip into that shit. Like, you know, I'm, I'm reading stuff on Facebook and it's like, yo, this is mental illness. Um, and I'm like, all right, primo, like, I appreciate you telling me it's mental illness. Like, (laughs) brother, like (laughs) you got a, you got a degree in psychology to back that shit up. He was asserting it like it was truth. And some folks are like, well, you know, like this is a gun issue. And then other folks is like, this is hate and racism. And I want to dip into that because I am going to bring up what the experts have said, but I want to ask, you know, Cassandra and and Andrew to kind of chime in, um, How are you feeling about all this just just this fucking fire hydrant wide open of everyone just shooting out their opinions left and right and kind of asserting themselves as if they were experts? And how do we kind of filter this out to have a more productive conversation about what's really at the root of this issue?
2: Yeah man, I, I don't know what's at the at the root. I mean uh the Wyoming, right? and I'm not well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um I'm I'm reading through it um just like everybody else. And you know, I can believe what I want to believe from what I'm reading from expert testimonies or uh whoever has the right credentials uh to, you know, espouse your opinion online. Um, But in the end, you know, I can't tell you why this motherfucker uh, did what he did. And I'll say that because I I believe, you know, one of our not Cassandra Hernandez, uh, different uh, city leaders uh, had a what I think is a pretty poor gaffe in which he described uh, this shooter as the gentleman as as the gentleman. (laughs) Um, And... Yeah, that's some shit. We're gonna talk about that in a second. But you know that's some bullshit. Guy. Doing you know doing what he did. Yeah, I'm processing and, and I don't know why. I know that we're gonna have the conversation about um, about mental health. I know that we're gonna have a conversation about um guns. Um, you know what I'm what I'm disappointed in. Is that I feel as though, and I agree because we talked about this before, you know, uh, Omar, you and me and me, about the fact that we're sort of pushing the the white supremacist aspect and the racist aspect just sort of under the rug. Right. Yeah. Let's have a conversation about everything else. But in the clearest, and I understand I've not yet seen, you know, confirmation that he's the one that wrote this and put it on 8chan or 4chan or whatever it is. Um but I mean we've got something online in which, you know, individuals saying, This is why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? I'm coming around and I'm gonna go right where the invasion is, right? Like the invasion, there's no port of entry in Allen. There's no port of entry there. Yeah. There are no Central Americans, you know, coming through the border with Allen and Mexico. It's happening in El Paso right? That's not a San Diego thing. That's not a Laredo thing. Like, I mean, it is a bit in San Diego, actually, and Tijuana. But I mean, as far as in the news nationally, that's, that's our town. That's where the invasion is happening. That's ground zero. Um, so why, I don't know, why when it's so clear as day, do folks still feel as though they don't want to touch that part, right? Let's talk about everything else except for what he literally said was the reason he was doing this, Absolutely. And I want to, I want to jump into that conversation about accountability,
0: but like, I, you know, I, I was thinking this and I got to shout out the, our brothers are eight black hands uh, podcast. Cause I've been listening to them a whole lot as well. And you know, I, it's a big reason I love their podcast. Cause they were like saying exactly what I was thinking. And I was like, so let me get this shit straight. Hey, mm-hmm. We have problems in this country where when black kids are getting arrested, they're getting choked out, thrown against cars. Andrew, you got handcuffed and thrown against a fucking squad car in downtown L.A., close to a charter school, because you resembled the fucking look of a suspect, which was Chicano male in khaki shorts and black shirt, some fucking bullshit. And meanwhile, we're talking about this kid as the gentleman and I'm not saying that he should have gotten thrown against the car. Fuck. No, I'm not saying that there should have been any violence, but this kid gets like fucking hand, like handcuffed and is nicely into the back of a squad car. Meanwhile, we're getting fucking beat up and choked out and shit. And it, it, it goes into a deeper issue. Like I'm not just Latino. I'm half Lebanese. So this shit kind of hits home. Lebanon, um, you know, part of the Middle East. And when brown folks from the Middle East do like unconscionable fucked up shit, they get labeled terrorists. When some white boy from Allen, Texas does extremely hate-filled, unconscionable shit, we just say, oh, he must be mentally ill. That motherfucker is a terrorist. And like, you know, to all the cats that want to talk about the Constitution and shit, let's talk about the fucking Constitution. The Constitution is here to protect us both from international and domestic terrorism. And I was, you know, I had the benefit of watching uh, an expert in uh, terroristic uh, uh, rules and policies, international terrorism, domestic terrorism. He works for the FBI, say our laws in this country have not caught up on the domestic terrorist bent. We have very clear laws as to what to do with international terrorism, but we have no idea what to do domestically. And it's like, why do we keep skirting away from real policies to deal with domestic terrorism and then just shooing it under the rug to be like, oh no, like that boy's mentally ill. There was no history of mental illness with this boy. The majority of these shooters, white men, in the past several years have not had any history of mental illness. So I am really conscientious about diving into this discussion and hearing Cassandra's um, thoughts on the fact that they came specifically to our hometown and to our border because this is ground zero For immigration and for what's going on with with the immigrants but like i want to call that out and just simply say we have a problem of pushing that shit under the rug and like this podcast will not allow for that and we're going to talk about it
1: yeah no i mean he specifically in his manifesto um he specifically said uh, that he was going to, that he felt compelled to address the Hispanic invasion. Uh, and that and that should concern every Latino in this nation. Um, but El Paso is such a tight-knit and friendly community. It's it's going to take some time. We're, we're still healing. Uh, some are mourning. Um, and then we will fight um, because that's what our city does. We are El Paso strong and, and we will fight and you will see that. All of our public officials, elected officials, most um, have uh, diverted um, a lot of the blame to the federal government and to the Trump administration. And, and uh, I have hear a variety of things, um, but to blame mental illness um, is not acceptable because racism and hatred is not a form of mental illness. In fact, those who are mental ill are more likely to be victims. And... Um, Kind of going back to uh, my educational degree and the basic question on formulating a policy or even starting to identify a new policy is that you have to identify the problem. And we have not identified the problems. Our leaders are blaming issues and are not clearly identifying the problems. And uh, President Trump said that it was mental illness. So if he if he really believes that mental illness is the problem, then why? to fund programs and, and remove money for mental illness, um, and, and take away dollars and and put it elsewhere. Uh, so it's, it's a little, um, hypocritical. Um, I'm not, I'm not happy with what I'm hearing. Um, but what I do know is that Trump is not helping. Uh, he's, he's dehumanizing Mexicans, Latinos and immigrants. Um, he, talks about it and today on NPR I heard that over 2000 times um, he spoke about a Hispanic invasion um, on his Facebook through, throughout, throughout his presidential campaign. And so he is part of the problem and it is political, it is weaponized political rhetoric. And now people feel that they have to be compelled enough to, to stop uh, Hispanic invasion by killing Latinos. I mean, it it's makes me very angry, but, but we need to talk about what is, what is the solution? Is it access to guns? Um, I would say that, uh, weapons of war do not belong in your grocery stores. They do not belong in your neighborhoods. Um, if you're going to go hunting, you don't need an assault rifle or an AR um, 15 or an AK 47, uh, you need a rifle. So access to um, weapons of war should be banned. Um, and so things like that are, that's what I've been thinking about. That's what I've been hearing from constituents. Um, nationwide people want to have that. Um, not sure why President Trump has not brought forward policy that's going to reduce gun violence.
0: Yeah. And I, I want to bring that up and, and bring A.B. into the conversation. Um uh, you know, I was lucky to to study, you know, revolutionary and constitutional law um, in, in, in college and in public policy school. And thereafter, I've been kind of marred in it. And, you know, I know AB's got some, some background in it too. But like, let's be honest here about some shit. Like, why the fuck you need an AR-15 to go hunt a deer? Like, do you suck at hunting that fucking bad? And there was an old password recently that said, in a news article, this is a toy. Like I have this, it's mm-hmm. a toy. I want to turn it in. I want to relinquish my- my AKs. I am going to relinquish my AR-15s because he said as an avid gun hon- owner and an avid hunter, this is a toy. This is not used for hunting. And I'm like, motherfucker, like if you need an AR-15 to go fucking hunting and shit, like maybe you need a different hobby. <laughs> like if you can't kill a deer at one or two fucking shots, like maybe your ass needs to take up something fucking easier, like fishing or some shit like that. Like, Hey, I, I want to get into the constitutionality of it really quick. Uh, but AB, like how are you feeling about all this shit? And, you know, where, where do you think the, the root causes?
2: Um, yeah, I don't think that it's in the guns. Um, and I don't think that it's in the guns because if you have, and then hear me out on this because it's not going the direction you may think it is. Mm. Um, you know, we've got um, mass stabbings, right? Mass killings going on around the world right um you know what happened in virginia right with the, with the car being driven in the crowd of people um anything can be used as a weapon to dehumanize uh, to kill and to disempower and i think that the the gun is uh, or the access to guns is a huge part of um lessening the effects um But the fact of the matter is when you still have racism and hatred that is inspiring these acts of violence, Mm. um, how do we, how do we touch that subject? Because nobody wants to talk race. Nobody wants to talk racism. Mm. And
0: what you're saying is like, yeah, I hear like, hey, man, guns don't kill people. People kill people. I'm like, yeah, you're fucking like racist ass who's like coming down and hunting us like it's the fucking terror dome. Tina Turner about to show up and shit waving her fucking flag because people hunting Mexicans and Latinos and immigrants. Yeah,
2: people are killing people. Yeah, a lot of it is inspired by race. Absolutely. Race and racism. We don't want to talk about it because uh, if y'all have a chance, uh, look up Jay Smooth, uh, a podcaster from out of New York. Uh, You know, he had this wonderful episode where he talked about the difference between telling somebody they're racist and letting them know what they did or what they said Mm -hmm. was racist. Mm -hmm. Right. Focus on the behavior, focus on the action and not the person. Right. If you tell somebody, hey, man, you stole my wallet. Right. I'm not calling you. I'm not saying that in your core, in your heart of hearts that you are a thief. What I'm saying is you fucking stole my wallet and you need to give it back to me. I'm focusing <laughs> on this. So people all the time, when you call them out on saying something that's hurtful, discriminatory, bigoted or racist, their first response is, hey, man, I'm not a racist. I don't give a fuck. If you believe that you're a racist, what I'm telling you is what you said was fucked up and you need to be held accountable for that. So we don't want to have that conversation. I think because it's too much of a difficult one, right? We can talk about mental illness because nobody is at fault for mental illness, right? A tragedy of the commons. Yep. Who's going to fix this? We don't know. It's such a huge problem. We don't know what to do. But if we actually say this is an act of racism and that means that certain people in power need to accept that, they need to realize that and maybe talk to each other and rethink their ideologies and their behaviors, then nah, I don't, I don't think that's it. I, I don't think that's it. I think it's a gun. I think it's a mental illness.
0: I mean, I got to bring that up really quick. I got a ton of stuff that I want to bring up. But like, A.B., you, you bring up something really interesting. And I want to ask Cassandra and A.B. about it. Maybe even Charles. Charles is with us. He wants to bring it up. Look, we are all minorities here. And I, I want to say this. Like, someone recently told me, you know, Omar, like, people are people. Like, you are making this about race. And you are just, if you do that, you're just as hateful as the shooter which I thought was the most ignorant ass comments I think I've heard in a long ass time. But my comment to this is that like, we want this country to have that ideology. We want people to be people. The problem is, is that a lot of people don't see us as people. I mean, quote Chris Rock, like, all right, like when the fuck did we become people? Like slavery ended in 1865, Jim Crow lasted until 1968, 1970, depending on the timing of your fucked up town deciding to like follow fucking code and shit. And the same is true of Mexicans. There were signs in El Paso, Texas um, that said no Mexicans or dogs allowed. So we were part of this too. And we have been trying to fight and combat racism to be equal so that yeah we don't have to worry about race anymore that people are people but let's be honest we all had the race talk growing up my mom sat me down and said mijito basically translated like son being mexican-american this country is different You got to dress three times better. You got to work three times harder because, you know, people look at us and they don't see a person. They see a gardener or they see a laborer or they see something uh, less intelligent. Hell, this whole manifesto has painted us to be objects, not people. And AB, you bring something up because we had that talk, but is everyone else in this country having that talk? Is every family in America having a discussion about the equity of race and how people are people and how we need to look beyond the color, something such fucking stupid bullshit, like the color of someone's skin to see the content of their character. Motherfucking, MLK talked about that shit over 50 years ago. And we're still struggling with the idea that yes, there is a soul inside this person and this outer shell is merely just a pigment and not the reflection of a personality and i want to shout out like the white carnales, carnalas, who are on with who are with us in this fight who understand that we need to talk about race in this country to humanize everybody but i feel like AB you touched on it because we're not doing that. We it's easy to say oh it's just those people who are mentally ill instead of saying i am part of this solution or i am part of this problem because right. i have chosen not to discuss this i have chosen to fucking bury this under the rug and not have a conversation with my community or my kids because i want to be all polite and shit. And yo it is fucking time to stop being polite and shit and having these conversations in these communities, because we need to start humanizing one another
2: instead of allowing race to be a fixture of our personalities. Agreed. I mean, thank you for also making it clear, you know, thank you to anybody um, who is an ally, right. uh, In this struggle. Um, I I thought about those people who, you, know, you you support whoever you support, right? Uh, who maybe supported Trump, Republican Party, feel themselves to be a conservative. And, and I hope that there's a moment of clarity and this poignant reflection for these individuals when they think that could have been me. Mm-hmm. That, that, I, I hope that that is clear to everybody, right? You can support the policies that you like, support the individual that you like, but at the, at the end of the day, this dude from Allen, Texas didn't come in the Walmart looking for MAGA hats. He didn't come in the Walmart asking who voted and which direction. And if you voted in the direction that I think you should have voted for, I'll spare you. No, are you brown? Do you look what I think like a Mexican should look like? Yeah. Okay, then you're in the crosshairs. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that those people who have not been allies to their own community, and I'll say this as well, who have not been allies to the black community either. Mm. Those same people, Mexicanos, Latinos, Hispanics, who have shied away or pushed under the rug, Black Lives Matter, cause you know, I'm all right. I'm close enough. I'm close to whiteness. I'm doing okay. I hope that they feel it now. And I hope that they themselves will appreciate the allies from the other side and will then be allies to others as well who are a part of this struggle.
1: And The only thing I want to add is um, somebody took a screenshot of uh, Senator um, Cornyn's uh, tweet uh, in June of this year, and he said Texas gained almost nine Hispanic residents for every additional white resident last year. That's a tweet from our US Senator talking about race and about how there are more Hispanics in Texas. What what does that mean? I don't know, we can connect the dots. Um, But a question was asked to me, Is are you concerned after Trump's visit that El Paso will be attacked like Dayton, Ohio, Mm. how he attacked leaders there? And I said, um, no, I'm not concerned. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, But rather, I would like for him to honor and to recognize our American El Paso heroes like Christopher Grant, um, who uh, was throwing bottles at the shooter so that a newborn wouldn't be shot, killed. Um, And like um, Mr. Oakley, um, Glennon Oakley, who was carrying children to safety, African-American army servicemen. Um, And those are the people that we should be honoring and elevating um, regardless of their race, because they are American heroes. And, uh, I was happy to see that, uh, President Trump did recognize them, did honor them. Um, but you know, was it his, was it, was it his request? I don't, I don't know. I can't answer that. Um, but it's, it's a discussion that everyone is having. Um, they're talking about Hispanics, um, in a way I've never seen before. And you're, I, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, that uh, we need to have that dialogue we need to have that discussion um, because now uh, hispanics uh, fear to live in their own skin and they feel that they are targets um, which is which is unacceptable
0: for this nation oh yeah and you know here's what i want to say people are like trump is inciting this and people are like that's bullshit let me let me say two things on the subject there is a recent study done um, And what they found was, this came out on CNN, uh, to cite the source, was that there was, excuse me, this was, came out on CNN, this was a Washington Post study, that since 2016, any county that had a Trump rally in it, saw a 226% increase in hate crimes. You're trying to tell me, like, this isn't our president, but we have hardline facts from police data To demonstrate that once this guy comes into your town, there is a exponential increase in hate crime. That is fact. And people are going to question that fact. Don't question that fact. Bring me evidence to say otherwise. Don't be like, oh, where'd the study come from? I got a study. I got something reliable from the Washington Post. Don't question the study. Bring me viable evidence to demonstrate otherwise. Otherwise, you're just you know, you're playing Fox News and distracting away and detracting away from something real when we should have an evidence-laden conversation. Now, people have been like, well, this shit was going on before Trump. No shit. The reason Trump is expounding all this rhetoric is because the two people that created the majority of his platform, Steve Bannon and Jeff Sessions, wrote, guess what? a manifesto that manifesto was really about how the United States was turning more Brown because of the increase in the Latino and black community in this country. And how especially the Latino community and how we essentially needed to do something to wipe this country of the Brown population, stop immigrants from coming in because this white country is going to turn Brown. So when people tell me people are people and you shouldn't have a discussion about race, Omar, I'm saying I'm not the one having it. I'm getting forced into it because people like Steve Bannon and Jeff Sessions are targeting our people and writing fucking manifestos about wiping us out and passing stringent immigration laws to ensure that we aren't allowed into this country so fuck yeah this was happening before trump because these cats were spouting this off in the u.s senate in breitbart news and whatever fucking shithole of a fucking media source infowars is been discredited 900 times all they spread is race hate rhetoric and stupidity nothing that they say is actually Factually substantiated Every time I look something up on PolitiFact That I hear from Infowars My phone fucking blows up and shit This is a situation Where we Continuously Push off accountability And push the blame To something like well, it's just mental illness. Well, no, it's not Trump. Well Omar, I know you um
3: I know you had asked me to and guns. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I know you had asked me to kind of just jump in. I think y'all just you know, I think these conversations are really needed. And just to even paint with some more stats and facts um, in this country, this year, there's been 248 mass shootings. Um, and I think, you know, just listening to you all like you never want to become numb to these things. Right. And um, and if I'm being honest, just around, you know, you if you listen to the A Black Hands podcast, you you. We had an an internal debate around if we wanted to do that show or not, and mm. it got kind of heated and hot, right? And so, because we try not to get numb to these issues, but, like, when you see this stuff, like, I, Gilroy happened when I was in San Jose. Like, that's, like, 30 minutes, 30 mm. miles away from San Jose, right? That happened right before you all thing happened. And then here in Chicago, August 5th, there's a report. I mean, there was 47 uh, shoot. There was a, there were shootings that led to 47 people being injured over that past weekend. Right. Like, so I think, but I think the thing that's interesting about this conversation is I do think that Latino and Brown people are being targeted even more exclusively. I think it's because, um, Black folks are growing in population a little bit. It's kind of, you know, it's shrinking in some places, but it's growing overall. But Latino population is about to be the majority uh, race in this country. And I do think that it has a lot of people shook and off their rocker. And I think that when you throw in a Donald Trump into the mix and you throw in a type of rhetoric, you throw in like the brass in which he like speaks with, I think he is empowering a lot of people that had these kind of deeply felt racist like undertones. And I think he's helping bubble that stuff up and bring it to the forefront um, in a way that I don't think we've kind of seen in a long time. Right. And I just think that is I think it's just something really difficult, man, to, to 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 tackle, I think, the appropriate way. But I think just listening to you all talk uh, and kind of giving that perspective, you know, this is your hometown, regardless of what the numbers say, regardless of how often this happens, and it does happen quite often, and it's happening more often, um, I just know it's a hard pill to swallow, so thank thank you all for just kind of going there with the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Thank you, Charles.
0: And I want to chime this in and then I'm going to kind of start segueing to to, to, to closing this off and and give Cassandra the, the mic in a second. But like what I hear oftentimes is like, okay, this is, you know, this is a. A gun control issue. Absolutely. I want to get into that a little bit later. This is a mental illness issue. Let me talk about this really quick just to say, listen, mental illness exists all across the world. Charles just said, you know, we've had 243, 250 mass shootings this year. The next country in line is three so mental illness exists all around the world so why is this happening that we have this exponential jump people are like oh this is video games what the fuck kind of stupid shit is that read read a fucking book video games (laughs) there's video games all across the world the Japanese the Koreans uh, (laughs) I can name three Latin American countries that have as much if not more fervent video game playing than the United States and yet Japan has had zero motherfucking zero gun-related homicides this year. 0% of people were killed in gun-related incidents this year in Japan. And they have exponentially higher rates of video game playing. This is what I'm talking about from these detractors. They are detracting us away by saying mental illness, which is an issue and needs to be addressed. They're detracting away with video games. And I'm saying this is a fucking gun issue that is coupled with race and hatred. Cause look, man, I will discuss this in closing, but if you are, if you got hate in your heart and you want to let it out, why do you need a a fucking hundred bullet magazine to fucking go and let it out? You know what I'm saying? Like there is no need for hand, excuse me, for guns to have a hundred bullet capabilities. Like, Yes, I'm not trying to take away anyone's gun in this country. Like, you want to own a gun, you want to own a rifle, like, that's your thing. But, like, you got to explain to me why the fuck anyone needs a AK-47, an AR-15, like Cassandra said, these mechanisms of war with 100 uh, 100 bullet count magazines, and then tell me, oh, this isn't a gun issue. And then people telling me, look, if I had a gun, I'd go in there and I'm like, what the fuck? What are you like, quick draw McGraw? <laughs> are you Jesse James, you the quickest draw in the West. You trying to tell me that when someone walks into a Walmart with an AK-47 and you're not expecting that shit, that you're a quick draw and that you're gonna start like firing off because this is the old West? Also B, I don't give a fuck if you go play um, paintball every weekend. Do you have training? Are you well-equipped to get into a gunfight? Is this 1888? You're trying to tell me that because you go to the gun range every day, you are an expert in gunfights? Look at Dayton. We had experts in gunfighting there, well-equipped. They responded within a minute, one minute, and they were able to take that person down, but they still were able to kill nine people. And then you're trying to tell me if I had a gun, I would have bullshit. Those people were well trained, had guns, and still nine lives were lost. Don't sit here and tell me this isn't a fucking gun issue.
1: I agree. And in, in Texas, uh, being um, a state with the weakest laws, um, you can go into your university and community college and carry a weapon. Um, I get, I have been seeing reports all across El Paso, uh, people just hysteric when they see historical, when they see guns, I'm getting calls now about, uh, one of my constituents at a restaurant, seeing somebody with a gun and everybody starts to run. Um, people are afraid of guns and people don't understand what the law is, especially here in Texas being with the weakest laws. Um, and so we've asked, uh, for briefings and and trying to get uh, people um, in El Paso to feel safe and and so they know what their rights are when it comes to to gun laws because it's different in every city and in every state. And it's unfortunate because this is one of those things that needs to be highly regulated by the federal government. And if not, there has to be some kind of consistency so people understand what the law is. And I I do agree, um, not uh, trying to address... Um, gun violence, um, is the same thing as, as doing nothing. And so the alternative is nothing and that's not working there. There have been more mass shootings this year than days alone in the, in the year. Um, that is unheard of. There are other countries that are warning to a tourist from coming to the United States because there is a a tendency for mass shootings. I mean, this is, this is the America that we live in. I mean, uh, It's not just mental illness, it's not just gun access, it's not just hate and racism. It's everything combined. Um, And our commander in chief has to do more to make us feel safe. And it is his responsibility, not only to apologize to the Latino community for dehumanizing us, but also to show in good faith and good effort that they're gonna come to the table and bring some meaningful laws into place. And, And now, and not wait anymore until there's another death um, and there's another domestic terrorism event.
0: Well said. So we're gonna, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, In subsequent shows, y'all, we will kinda continue unpacking what this means for the Latino community. Um, Give a couple updates here and there about what's going on and, and talk about it a little bit. But remember, like this is an educational podcast we want these conversations to happen in the home. We want this to be kind of the education of the home, the education of the dinner party, because education doesn't just have to happen in a school. Education is really about sharing thoughts with one another in a better attempt to find um, really great solutions and and move them forward and to just simply educate oneself um, to light that spark. So I wanna um, give AB. Cassandra, I've got some closing thoughts of my own, but I want to kind of close this out and give a mic over to to
2: AB. Any final or parting thoughts? Absolutely. Um, Just first off, thank you to the the two of you and Cassandra for for joining us um, on such short notice um, for the recording. Um, I think that I, I just appreciate you all and not from my like recording, but this is AB coming out. I appreciate you all so much um, just for getting on the line. Uh, it, it's, it's lonely. Uh, and I think that it helps to uh, connect in this way, to talk about these things. Um, we've talked about a number of issues from, you know, what is the root cause from, you know, the gun violence to the mental illness to um, the racism and, and so on and so forth. And I think that at this time, you know, like I said, experts are out there. Um, I don't have a solution to, to give you all today, um, but I just want to make sure that to those out there listening to continue to um, look out for one another and take care of one another. Um, people like Cassandra who are leading the way and they're more than likely, Cassandra, caring for others in a way that you're leaving yourself last. Um, and this is what I would expect. Um, I, I'm out of the school setting now. Um, If I was with my school, with school starting on Monday, everybody else comes first. And Omar is in that setting. And he's got an entire organization of people, of teachers, of administrators, of students who are looking to him uh, to provide a sense of calm and confidence um, and relief. And so I think that in times like these, um, I hope that we can continue these conversations. And my only advice for folks right now is to talk to one another, to reiterate that it's okay to not be okay mm-hmm. and to talk about um, these issues and wherever that may be, wherever stage of grief, mourning, solution finding or loss that people um, may be at. Um, but I'm so appreciative that we were able to have this conversation. And I hope that we can continue to have these conversations because they are cathart- cathartic, um, they are therapeutic, and they help us to, to move forward in a positive way. So thank you to the both of you. Thank you for Charles as well. That's what's up.
1: Thank you, um, Andrew, for your words. And, um, and thank you for inviting me here today. It's, it's a it's a tough subject to talk about. A lot of people, including my mom, are, are mad that uh, this whole dialogue of, of politics and politicizing an unfortunate event. Um, and people are, are, are mad just because people are talking about it, but you know, people grieve differently. And it's okay to talk about um what you're feeling and uh this week we hosted um we were planning a block party we've been planning it for months and uh i was going to cancel it like you know your your party that you all talked about earlier And uh, we decided not to. And we thought it's now more than ever that we need to come together as a community, even if it's just for a couple of hours. We need to teach uh, kindness and have human dignity and be generous and love each other and just all of those good things and just kind of enjoy your neighbors, right? Just, just live in the moment and not let fear control your life. But a lot of people are living in fear. And even to a certain extent, I don't want to go shopping for my kids uh, to get their back to school stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm doing some online shopping, which I adamantly hate. Um, But we all have to be um, courageous and strong for our city in different ways that you would have never expected. And, uh, there's a young sixth grader, an, an El Pasoan, um, who started a random act of kindness and to kind of get over, uh, the, the, it's the way he's grieving and he's asking everybody to do 22 random acts of kindness, uh, to, to remember and to honor uh, those who have lost their lives. And so I would encourage everyone listening, um, to do something nice. Um, I've got three, uh, random acts of kindness. I'm, I'm working on the others, uh, you know, buying a Starbucks for the people behind me, um, buying people's coffee at my community meeting. Um, so just little things uh, being here today for, for you, Omar. and yes. the podcast. Um, so, so say yes. Uh, do good things for your neighbors. Uh, knock on your neighbor's door. Ask them if they're OK. Let them know that they're loved. Um, and so and just be strong and, and stay strong. And if there's anything I can do,
0: please let me know. That's awesome. Thank you so much. You. So I got a couple parting thoughts here. Um You know, I want to echo the love and sentiment, but I want to make sure that I talk a little bit about accountability. Um, I was, I'm very lucky to to have a a bit of a background in in constitutional law and and colonial revolutionary government. And what I hear a lot of these days is the second amendment and the second amendment. And I, I want to remind folks of just a couple things. One, take a look at the second amendment and it talks about the right to bear arms for the necessity of a well-regulated militia. And I want to remind folks, because I had this conversation with a primo of mine, and we are talking about the Supreme Court and we we're talking about like strict construction, constructionalism and, you know, abiding by the very words of the constitution and so forth. And I'm like, primo, listen, I, I get it. However, I-, I have the belief that we can try to interpret the constitution in a way that makes sense Um, for the present day, because the Constitution was written by a bunch of old, white, slave-owning men who literally shit in a bucket. I mean, these people did not have indoor plumbing, and yet we're trying to decipher how we should live our lives exactly in the way that they would have imagined. Could they have ever imagined a magazine with a hundred bullets in it? When you really wanted to kill someone back then, you fucking really had to kill someone because not only did those firearms have shit aim, but if you wanted to reload, it was like, oh man, I really want to kill your ass, but I got to take 45 seconds or a minute to reload this gun and put in the gunpowder and put in this ball to kill your ass. I'm like, you really wanted to kill someone. How could they have ever imagined these weapons of essentially mass destruction that are so available that you can go online and buy an AK 47 with a fucking magazine that holds a hundred bullets. Ben Franklin could have never thought of that. In addition, if you want to talk about constitutional law, I advocate everyone read Federalist 29. It's one of the few that Alexander Hamilton wrote. Uh, Madison wrote the majority of the Federalist papers, but that. Federalist paper goes into what the beliefs were of a well-regulated militia that we consider the National Guard today. We were to bear arms because we were in a position where we were being occupied by what they considered to be a foreign entity. And when we talk about the right to bear arms, it in no way, shape, or form protects against things like AK-47s and AR-15s. That has been a misnomer from the very beginning. And what we're saying is, yes, you have the right to bear a rifle. You have the right to bear perhaps even a handgun. But in no way, shape, or form does the Second Amendment protect your right to bear a weapon of war, Because those things are considered proper for what is a well-regulated militia, which means that you are organized, you are under command, and you are not firing on anyone unless you are trained to do so under extreme circumstances in a highly organized militaristic situation like the National Guard. So these folks walking around with these AKs and AR-15s believe that it's their constitutional right to hold them. And I would argue you're actually in violation of the constitution by doing so. And I commend the folks who are turning them in and thinking about proper gun laws to rid ourselves of these weapons of mass destruction in a country that does not need AR-15s and AK-47s to be wielded by untrained folks. With that being said, I want to part on the fact that I am thinking and praying. And I'm thinking and praying for the victims of Dayton, of El Paso. And I've been thinking of praying for the victims and for gun reform since Columbine. And I want to say that for all those that have been sending thoughts and prayers, thank you. They are needed and they matter and they do help. Maybe for me, as I think about my thoughts and prayers, maybe it's time for me to get off my knees, call Ted Cruz, call Corning, call our governor Abbott, and maybe have a few words with them about gun reform so that they can get on their knees and pray for forgiveness for the incredible negligence and complicitness they've had in this gun crisis that we've had in the United States. Now I wanna send a shout out to our producer, Host of the Eight Black Hands, Mr. Charles Cole. Thank you for being on the ones and twos today. I want to set a shout out and thank you to our carnal, Andrew Benitez, coming all the way from Harvard University, the man getting a doctorate, smarter than shit. This man is a pride to oh, everyone. Um, send a huge shout out to our guest today, the carnal Cassandra Hernandez, brilliant, eloquent, reform-minded, and solutions-oriented. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to send a huge hug and shout out to the victims in Dayton, we are thinking of you. To all the folks in El Paso, I adore everyone in this town. I adore everyone here who is coming together and supporting one another, supporting acts of kindness and using love, respect as a moniker obliterate hate and for those who are in el paso um i want to give you guys just a quick shout out that um, there's going to be a community memorial service held august 14th it starts around 7 it's going to be at southwest uh, university park this is the chihuahuas baseball park it will be about from 7 to 8 but show up a little bit early and it's a community way for us to get together heal Love one another, and work as a community to not just be a Paso Strong or Dayton Strong, but to make this country stronger, better, more compassionate, and obliterating hate and filling it with love, hope, and respect. You can get a hold of us on our handles: the EPW uh, E underscore. EPW Podcast on Instagram EPW Podcast at gmail.com And at EPW Podcast on Twitter We want to hear from you uh, We send you our love Buenas noches Muchísimas gracias Y nos vemos hasta el próximo Thank you